dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today we will be covering the fourth episode from season one titled Chapter Four, The Body. All right, so let's jump into our top five from episode four, The Body. So, Sean, what is your, I'll let, I'm going to let you get started. Do you have any general thoughts that you want to top start off the show with or do you just want to jump into your top five yeah let's jump into our top five i think there's a ton I, i'm kind of curious if we're gonna kind of feed off each other on this one like you mm-hmm. know because there's a lot of stuff in here i agree I feel like this is the episode that's like okay now the wheels are turning now things are starting <laughs> to happen but yeah so i'll start off with my number five um, right. i'm gonna go with the radio transmission piece on this so so we get get this moment where Mike's sitting there and he's flipping through these pictures that Will's drawn. So you see him like fighting dragons and stuff. A lot of their D and D things. Mm-hmm. And you know, whenever you're kind of in like that that sad mood, like any little thing's gonna tick you off. And L is just flipping through the 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 radio transmitter, just like you know, just kind of clicking it on and off, like moving buttons. And you can see Mike's like upset about this because he's already annoyed at her for one because yeah. of the last episode. And he's you know going back at her again. He's like, well, you know, like you know. You know, uh, Lucas was right about you. You know, you're a you know you're just a, a weird weirdo, basically. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you just start hearing that tune. Should I stay or should I go? Yeah, now? the clash. Yeah. And you know, you see Mike instantly turns like what and walks over and he picks up the mic or he picks up the uh, uh, he's Mike. He picks up the 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 radio and he's he's hearing Will and he tries to contact him back. And he has the interaction with with L there, basically just kind of being like, "Okay, like was was that Will? Like, did I hear what I thought I heard?" And again, you see her using her powers somehow, and it's kind of her signature. Whenever she does use her powers, a little bit of blood coming out of her nose, mm-hmm. and this leads into a, like a whole like interesting like side power to her, because as you know, Mike calls in sick the next day from for school, gets all the guys over, and you know starts talking about how somehow she's using her mind to contact Will. And I love Dustin. You know, he's like, like Professor X. He's always the guy that gets <laughs> yes. to bring it back to comics, which I, I know, love. I love the X-Men reference. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they get this scheme to get back to the school because they need some more power. They need like Tim Allen. They need more power. Always. And so they go and they're going to use the, the, ha- the radio, the ham radio at the school. 
And that's where they get like even more communication. Because I think Lucas and Dustin, Dustin, I think kind of believed Lucas for sure, like thought they were crazy. Yeah. Because they get back together. And, and that's, I mean, I love that this is all very much from the outside looking in. You could be like, okay, all these people are grieving. Mm-hmm. Mike's grieving. Dustin's just maybe not quite right in the head, like maybe a little naive. Yeah. And, but they get all in that same room with that ham radio and you hear Luke, you hear uh, Will very clear calling for his mother yeah and each one of them knows what's going on there and it's it's a pretty cool to see you know like i guess it's you can't really be crazy in a group so each one of them <laughs> kind of like realizing that they're not all crazy and you kind of have to feel for joyce a little bit because she's really going crazy by herself yeah definitely that poor but, woman yeah but i love that you know this is kind of that group they're finding their friend and they're doing it through you know through the help of l and using these, you know, because it's kind of cool that, you know, these radio or these uh, radios that they use, they, they talk to each other all the time as kids. I mean, you see like all like four of them have their own radios mm-hmm. and this is how they can connect with their friend who's somewhere. We don't know. Is he in the great beyond? Is he in some alternate dimension? Is he a ghost? Maybe he's a ghost and he's haunting us. I don't know. Right. All very good questions. But yeah, it's kind of I just kind of like the idea of them using this radio technology to communicate with their friend. Yeah, I, I really like that as well. Um, and that is funny. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say on that? Uh, no, that's kind of pretty much the, the gist of it. Okay, well, that, I was just going to say that really kind of runs into my number five um, and certainly touches on that is where are Will and Barb? So I kind of one of my questions to you is like, do you have any additional thoughts on this place? We've I feel like we've seen a little bit more like just – not very much, but just a little bit more in this episode when you see Will, you know, um, towards the end when he's like through the wall at his at his house um, as Joyce peels the wallpaper and you can see, you know, this strange, I don't even know what it is, but, you know, you just see this like it's obviously not drywall <laughs> or wood. Yeah, yeah. And you see Will and he's calling out to his mother and, and he's telling her, She's like, oh, my God, Will, where are you? Where are you? And, you know, I'll come get you. I'll find you. Um, he said, And he tells her, he said, it's like home, but it's cold. It's dark. Um, and then, you know, we kind of see a little bit of it as well whenever um, that guy at the facility. Now, mm-hmm. they're not paying this guy enough. I mean, is this no, guy getting yeah. is this guy getting hazard pay at all? <laughs> <laughs> Does he know what he's in for? Did they? I'm thinking this the whole time as he's, you know, walking very calmly, you know, over to the to the middle of the room and they're strapping him, you know, which is very much again. I know I referred um, in the last um, one that we had talked about, like poltergeist uh, references. This reminded me a lot of that as they're hooking him up. It was very much like in the movie Poltergeist when they're um, hooking up Joe Beth Williams to walk into the closet to go get. Carol Ann uh, from wherever she is and um, you know they're making sure that they don't lose her in there so they've got her hooked up with this rope around her waist and that was very much like what they were doing in in um, this episode hooking this guy up and you know he walks up to that you know portal whatever you want to call it this you know other place and um, I think we got a glimpse of your goo did you catch yeah, that yeah there's there's some of it there and that's the thing is like it kind of opens up yeah it's all like warm and inviting and he like walks right into it and it just closes behind him. I know. Creepy, right? It was just gross. Anytime that somebody has to be like, hey, we're going to hook this to you because we don't know what will happen. Uh-huh. And we at least want to be able to pull your body. I mean, pull uh-huh. you back through this thing. 
yeah. you know, like you said, like in Poltergeist. Sometimes they do this with divers in oceans with like big giant sharks. We're like, hey, we just want to do this here so we can pull you back. Because that bait. air tank is expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're chumming the water here. No, if somebody, if I'm in any kind of situation and they're like, here, we're going to just hook this up to you. Just, you know, I'm like, no. Because you know what that is? <laughs> That's bait on a freaking yep. fishing hook. Hell <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? What no. I love to, like, yeah, so that's, that was, uh, yeah, you don't know what, what's in there. And we still don't know. I mean, we've seen the, the monster thing a little bit, but you still really don't know, like, okay, like, is there one loose? Is there one that's getting out? Is there more of them? Right. You know, is that is that the same thing that attacked Barb? Is there more stuff in there? Like, you just have no idea. Well, and it's like, what is making... Because it's like, somehow these worlds are crossing. Because you see... You know, um, Joyce peels the wallpaper and she sees this place that Will is at. And she sees him, hears him. He can hear her. Um, so they're able to communicate. This creature has been able to, obviously there's something in there. Whether it's the same creature, I mean, no, we don't know for sure. But there's something there. Is it the same one that we've seen uh, that um, that in the first episode uh, made, you know, scared Will? Um, and made him fall off his bike and run into the woods and, and what took him. Is it what we saw or, you know, what Barb saw? Um, is it what Nancy saw in the woods when she was looking for Barb? These worlds are somehow crossing, like they're they're merging at times, but yet they're not because then you see, you know, uh, Joyce later take that um, axe to the wall. And, you know, because she's like, you know, he's, he was right there. I can find him. And then, of course, it's just a wall. She's literally just busted a hole in her in her living room wall and people are obviously going to think she's crazy for that but it's like it was there and then it's not so what what I wonder phenomenon is happening to make these worlds you know kind of start to merge it's like they merge and then they pull apart is it is it 11 is it something at the facility that's happening to make you know this happen yeah I don't know if in all the events when stuff happens if Elle's been doing something specific but I know in this one she was trying to communicate with Will yeah and that's when the portal kind of opened or at least the the visible like it almost looked like a a glass enclosure Mm -hmm. and so she could kind of see inside like I don't think she could make out Will but she could you know she at least could sense that he was there but the creepiest thing was that like you see that open up and then as it it seemed like it was about the same time where Elle was kind of starting to fade out you kind of saw like the plaster and the drywall kind of start to come back. Yeah. And just kind of close. Yeah. And just the scene. And I, I don't know if you have much more to add to your number five because this actually, this is great. Like, it's like we sketched this out. This actually <laughs> well, we leads do. into my number we, four. We share the same brain. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of my question here is like this it's that opening to what? You know, you have the, the facility has their own little portal. And like you have to feel for for Joyce in this scenario because like it closes up and she's like, oh, okay, I know where my son is now. Mm-hmm. And she takes that axe and just destroys that wall. And how heartbreaking that would be to be like, he was just there. And now I'm just looking out into it's the world, but it's more it's basically nothing to me at this point. It's not what I want to be looking at. Yeah, because that's not where her son is. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's all that I had to say about my number five. So if you wanted to, if you had some point regarding that or similar to that that relates or something in your number four, feel free because that's all that I had on my five. Yeah, I mean, basically the main thing I added to that is like when I saw them walking into that that abyss, I don't even know if it's an abyss, I don't even know what you call it, but that guy walks into it and it closes him. I can only think like WTF, like what the fuck is uh-huh. that? 
Nuh-uh. Because it's and again, like you said, is this guy getting hazard pay? Like it's like, okay, listen, Tom. This is like the conversation is like, listen, Tom, um, we, you know, you've been doing great work here. You know, you've been, you know, mm-hmm. keeping all of our you know, our experiments under wraps. You know, we're thinking about promoting you, but we got one more task for you, Tom. We need you to walk through the goop. <laughs> like, listen, I know it's scary, you know, but we believe in you, Tom. Um, and if if you come back out, we will give you two weeks' pay off. If you die, um, well, Severance unfortunately, to your family. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, we can't. We're classified here, so it'll basically be that you uh, had an, a workshop accident. You know, right? Good luck. Bye, Tom. Shoving through the the little wall <laughs> there. Good luck. Yeah, we'll and, put your kid through college if you do this and don't yeah. make it out. <laughs> But I mean, like he walks in and you don't really sense much from him. And they didn't do the trope, at least that, that it seems like they typically do with stuff like this where they have. I mean, I guess they did have something kind of tug on it. Mm-hmm. But usually you have where like it runs with the, the wire or the rope, like it takes it all the way to the end and sucks it into wherever it's at. Like Jaws. Yeah, exactly. When, when, when the Jaws would like take off with the bait that was on the end of the barrel. Yeah, yeah. The doing like the little fish run kind of thing. So I like that it didn't do that, and it just basically, you know, so he's in there. They're like, okay, he's not communicating with us, because apparently the radio still works for them, too. Mm-hmm. And their concern at that point is like, okay, well, he's not communicating what's going on. And finally, he does get back to him. It's like, oh, thank God. Like, there's the little, you know, the the pre-freak out where it's like, he's dead. <laughs> oh, no, he's not. He's fine. But, you know, they just kind of start slowly rolling it in, and it just pops out with just, I, I couldn't even really tell what it was. But it seemed like it was some kind of metal. So I don't know if it was just the metal that was hooked to him. Yeah, it kind of looked like the belt, but the belt was not whole. Mm. Like it was like he was grabbed or ripped or it was like he was like just torn right out of that belt. Because the, the belt did not look whole, but it looked like whatever was um, around his waist that hooked to, to that contraption that they had him to. And I guess that explains a little bit as to what they were doing in that previous episode when when Dr. Brenner is just staring at that portal. I was wondering what it was that they were, because he's just standing there with his arms folded. But in the background or next to him, you see that they're like locking this thing down on the floor and you see them bolt it into this concrete floor. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. thinking like, what are they doing? What is that? I guess that's what it was. Is there, okay, we're sending someone in there <laughs> who, who draws the short straw. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, that, and it's funny because that's the first time the doctor really seemed freaked out too. Yeah, because as they start getting, it gets tugged on, and like the guy screaming, he's like, "Real I'm in, real Tom in." Exactly, because he's like so cold and heartless. It's we don't see him show. He's so stone faced and um, like emotionless throughout everything. His interactions with Eleven, you know, even at first, you know, as he's watching this guy, because he kind of cuts back from him to that. I think his name was Shepard, um, that they called him the guy that walked into this unknown. Um, you know, he's just like stone faced and yeah, that was where you saw him kind of get jarred like, Oh hell, um, this is not good. So yeah, it was like, Oh, well now you know it's bad because he's. Yeah. Well, and I hope that's actually, cause it's kind of, again, like the trope of like, you know, it's just the people freaking out. So everybody's screaming cause something bad's happening. I hope there's some backstory to why he was so concerned about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it may be a selfish, like, you know, he wanted to conduct tests on Shepard when he pulled him back out, or maybe he thought Shepard would be able to tell him what he saw, but not just the kind of trope of, oh my gosh, okay, something bad's happening, let's everybody scream at the top of their lungs. Right. Like, I like, I'd like there to be something more to it, but, you know, probably realistically, it's just kind of to add some tension to the scene. Definitely. Well, it was tense. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the thing, too, like, we don't really know where this portal came from, like, from from the 
the sense I get from everybody is it just appeared. Like, it's not like it's something that's slowly grown or like, you know, it's not like that pimple that started out small and got bigger. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, there's some portal thing here. Right. Like they weren't expecting it. Yeah. Or they weren't trying to conjure this, you know, and and bring it to the forefront. It just something happened and now they're trying to figure out what it is instead of like trying to, you know, report it or figure. I mean, they're trying to figure it out, but it's like they're covering it up. You know, obviously all this stuff is happening, um, you know, so I don't think that they did it on purpose. So, but we'll see, right? Yep. So, yeah, that was kind of tied into my number four is I kind of like basically I'm saying like this is an opening to what? Um, let's hope we get that answer. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number four? Oh, uh, that was kind of my number oh, four. Oh, that was, was your four? Into, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Good good number four. I mean, there, like you said, there's so much t- to um, digest in, and I don't mean that in a, that sounds kind of icky considering that guy kind of got digested wherever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, wherever he ended up. Poor Shepard. Um, That's what the suits are for, so like you don't actually open your mouth and like actually take some of that goop in your mouth. Oh You're like, gosh. oh, that's, it tastes like cinnamon. That's it burns. Worse. <laughs> that's worse. It doesn't look like fun. You know, Ghostbusters, when he gets slimed, when Slimer slimes him in that hotel, that does not look pleasant at no, all. it does And not. I think it's got a smell to it. It's oh, I can imagine a smell. I don't think they mentioned that in the movie <laughs> Ghostbusters, but I can just imagine a smell. Um, okay, so my number four um, is just 11. Um, I know I've talked about her a lot in the other episodes and stuff, but she's just so adorable and fascinating. You know, we're, we're, we're peeling the layers of this girl, um, this unknown girl that has escaped uh, from her captivity, if you want to call it that. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I thought, thought it was really adorable. What really stood out to me a lot was um, like they're in the middle when they're thinking of how they can smuggle her into the school so they yes. can get her to conjure up Will through that ham radio. Um, I thought it was really cute. All the boys, like uh-huh. completely clueless boys at this age who, you know, were freaking out when she was like trying to undress herself in a previous <laughs> episode that they're all trying to pick out these, you know, it looks like dress up clothes that maybe or yeah. maybe handoff clothes that, from Nancy when she was younger or something or maybe play dress up. Um, and they found this wig. And they found this dress and they get her all dressed up to try to make her look somewhat normal. Because obviously at that time, I mean, girls with buzz cuts probably aren't like a big deal now. But like back in that time, it definitely would have been made her stand out. So they're, yeah. you know, they get her with this cute hair. And I just thought it was so adorable. You know, the boys look at her and like, oh my gosh, you look normal. You look really cute. And of course, Mike, who we, I think yes. we know probably has a little <laughs> bit of a crush on her. I mean, he really, really, I think generally cares for her as a friend. But obviously, I think he does have a bit of a crush on her. Um uh, and, and then I think it was really sweet for her to see herself in the mirror because it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, because it's like, how does she see herself? How does she picture herself? What does she think of herself um, other than like a project or just a, a subject or something? Because it's like that's that's all that they at least from what we've seen of her life um, with Dr. Brenner and all of these experiments that she's being forced to do. It's like she's not a person. And it's like she got to dress in these real clothes, um, look like a real girl. Um, so it just, it makes me curious, like, how did, how does she see herself? You know, and now she's seeing herself as like a normal girl. And it just, I thought it was a really touching moment. I thought it was really sweet. Um, she clearly, you know, she's such a sweet girl. She doesn't want to hurt anyone. You know, in the last episode when they had her doing, which we don't know the true um, nature of that experiment, but when she was in the room with that cat, um, I think that they wanted her to do something to that cat. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> that they was wanted not, to coke can it. Yeah, that was, I don't think, very humane. 
Um, and she didn't want to do it. He, she told him no, and she got punished for it. And then in this episode, we saw um, where she was fearful of hurting this man that they wanted her to do this experiment. I look like a mind reading experiment with, and mm-hmm. she just really, I just thought all of that was really interesting. She's really, I think it has a lot of depth for her character for such a, a little kid. And I really, really, you know, I just thought that was super cool. And that experiment where he, she did, where they did want her to read that guy's mind, you know, he's like, just, you know, just take a peek and just repeat those words, you know, back to me. And instead you get that little like glitch in the electricity. And instead she starts playing his, what he's saying over the loud loudspeakers. Uh-huh. Wasn't that like so crazy cool? <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let you hear what he's saying, but I'm not going to repeat it. You're going to hear it. It's like, she went above and beyond. It's like, that's how much power she has. I feel like we've only just got to see a little bit of what she can do. So I just find her absolutely fascinating. I thought it, there, there were some really cool moments where she's, you know, connecting with Will, trying to get him to communicate. And so the other boys can hear him. They can't necessarily communicate with him, but they can hear him. Um, and then, you know, you see this other side where she feel, where she looks human like a girl. She feels like one of them versus like some sort of subject or object. Um, and then just, I think, getting more glimpses of her power and what she can do is super cool. So I just, I love her as a character. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So like you're talking about her playing over that loudspeaker. I think I missed that because I heard him talking. And I know it kind of sounded like it was, I guess, over a radio, but I guess I didn't for some reason I didn't make the connection that that was happening over the radio, like over the loudspeaker. So that makes that seem like even more intense. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I missed that, but that's, I, that's pretty cool. Well, I'm pretty sure because they were kind of, you know how they kind of cut back and forth as she has these flashbacks, you know? So, I mean, unless, you know, you go back and watch and please later correct me if I'm wrong and listeners as well. If you want to write in and say, Nope, you were so wrong. Please <laughs> feel free. I, I can take it. I promise. Um, I don't like being proved wrong, but I can take it. I'm a big girl. Um, I'm almost positive that as he's reading, cause it's like, he's just reading words, like just objects, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but he's like, he's just reading off this piece of paper, these items. And he's in that separate room. And I could swear that that was his voice um, playing. Cause you get that little, uh, you see her and Dr. Brenner sitting in that little room and her eyes are closed and she's concentrating and trying to focus. Um, and the, the, like the lights flicker, like we keep seeing the lights flicker throughout when weird stuff's getting ready to happen. We see the lights flicker and then all of a sudden, you know, you hear his voice over the loudspeaker and Dr. Brenner looks like he's about to lose his shit. Um, so <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool that we get to see just a little bit more every episode, a little bit more of what she can do. And it's super awesome. Well, I think that's kind of like, you know, you think of uh, the Jean Grey character. Like if you, you see like there's a lot of like that feels like they're pulling from different types of pop culture. And that's kind of like Jean Grey was like this, you know, super, super mutant. And but she didn't really know all the power she had until she became like the Phoenix. You know, that's kind of like the same thing. Like, you know, this guy knows she has some power, but doesn't really know the full capacity and the full extent of that power. Mm-hmm. In that moment, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can not only read this guy's mind, but I can also do this crazy thing with the electricity and push it through the uh, um, the radio or the loudspeaker. Right. Uh, the other thing I thought was kind of cool, is like you're talking about them sneaking around with her in the uh, school, the uh, the interaction when the teacher catches them. I don't know if you remember that part specifically, but so like all the kids show up and they're trying to sneak into the... Oh, when um, the door was locked and they're in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he scares them and they're just kind of going on about, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, we're in mourning. We've been crying all day. (laughs) And, you know, the teacher asks like, oh, well, I don't think I've met you. It's like, uh, what's your name? El, Eleanor. Uh, her name's Eleanor. 
Oh, she's Eleanor's. From Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> she's from Sweden. It's his cousin, second cousin. She hates it. She hates it in Sweden. It's cold. But uh, the other thing I thought was kind of funny because, like, you talked about all the '80s references from the uh, previous episode. Like, right when Dustin grabbed that wig and they were putting the lipstick on her, like, I definitely got an ET vibe. <gasps> yes, good pickup. Yeah. Oh, and ET had the little blonde wig too. Yeah, it was adorable. Good, good, good point. I totally, like, totally got by me. <laughs> but, I mean, you have to be impressed. Mike was, that's the thing. I was like, okay, these, like, 12-year-olds are putting makeup on, like, a 12-year-old girl or 11-year-old girl to go to school. Again, I wasn't a, a young girl growing up, so I don't remember, I don't know what age girls start wearing makeup, mm-hmm. but that kind of stood out to me as being kind of weird, especially for Mike being able to kind of, he, he did a good job putting on makeup, so maybe he's watched his sister a few times. Shockingly, yeah. But I think that's what made it even more funny, because I don't know that... I mean, I know when I started wearing makeup, but I'm a, a, anybody that knows me um, knows that I'm a complete product junkie and I have like <laughs> lived in makeup for forever for as long as I can remember. So I probably started wearing makeup a little bit earlier, maybe than some girls. Um, it, I don't think it was a typical age, but I think that's what's really funny. It's because like that would be such a, a clueless boy thing to do is like, yeah. well, you're a girl, so you have to wear makeup. It's just, it doesn't matter your age. You just have to wear makeup. You're supposed to wear makeup and they're trying to go above and beyond to make her look normal and look like a a regular girl. So it seems like a a real typical boy thing to do. Like, well, you just have to wear makeup. Yeah. I learned at a young age, like makeup and that stuff isn't for me because I don't remember why I was in my sister's room, but she had this, I think I wanted to figure out what this stuff was. It was, it's just perfume, but it was like uh, flavor scented perfume, like strawberry or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, I bet it tastes like strawberries. I'm like, sprit, sprit in my mouth. I'm like, oh, no, that, no, no, that, that didn't taste like strawberries. It does not nope. ever taste like strawberries. What? It's like a mouthful of alcohol. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it never, especially in those days, probably when you were little, um, that stuff, if it was scented or flavored at all, it didn't taste as good as it sometimes smelled. So you learned a hard lesson there, my friend. I did. I did. (laughs) Always be careful what you put in your mouth. That's what I learned. (laughs) I think that's a pretty good (laughs) rule to live by. (laughs) Just a good, good rule in general (laughs) for so many things. Oh my god. God, where were we at? <laughs> uh, let's see. That was uh so you're on your number 3. It was a uh, L 11. That was my number 4. Oh, number 4. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Got me all in a tizzy. <laughs> so, okay, I think we've covered my number 4. We're going to move on. Um, so what's your number 3? Okay, so my number three, I kind of was tying uh, not only just the Jonathan and Nancy scene, but also kind of the Barb investigation. There's kind of a lot to cover there, but, yeah, you know, like first she she's getting investigated by the cops. And again, we get a great Steve the D moment in this episode. <laughs> I was where, waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Nancy is all concerned about her friend Barb, which she should be. Like, she's not at school. She's disappeared. And all Steve is worried about is getting in trouble for having some friends over. And he called it a party. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, I was like, it was barely a gathering because mm-hmm. there's only four people there. Like, that's not a party. No, that's a makeout session. Yeah, exactly. A group but one. His con- <laughs> <laughs> but his concern is like, you know, my, da- my dad's going to kill me. It's like, your dad's not going to kill you, dude. Settle down. Well, don't tell the cops about the beer because then we'll all get in trouble. And again, like, I'm like, okay, well, first off, like, she doesn't really need to tell them they were drinking beer. Like, that's kind of not pertinent to the situation. Exactly. But I really got a pervy cop feel. Like, those two guys are interviewing her, and, you know, 
she mentions the car. He's like, well, the car's gone. And she talks about like, well, I told her to leave. And so I went up to, to Steve's room. And they're like, oh, what'd you go up to Steve's room for? Right. She's like, well, I, I had to, I wanted to change out of the wet clothes. And Steve and I just talked. I was like, well, was this before or after you got out of your wet clothes? It's like, come on, dudes. Like, no. Like, really, her mother is sitting right there. <laughs> well, and the thing with her mom, too. So, like, they get back to the house, and her mom's like, you lied to those cops. You didn't tell them the truth. And she's like, I slept with him, Mom. Like, that's not pertinent to the situation. <laughs> that's not what is important right now. It's like, so <laughs> in frustrating. That, in that minute, maybe minute and a half tops, I don't think that's when Barb disappeared. <laughs> You're not being very generous with Steve <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh. But, I mean, yeah, like, you figure out, like, the car is gone. Um, and, like, her mom makes the whole situation out of, of her sleeping with him, which doesn't make any sense. But she starts going through the picture that was ripped up. And she, and I don't understand, again, why she had to put the whole picture together. But she notices in one of the corners kind of something odd. Mm-hmm. And so she makes the trip to, to go see Steve. Or not Steve, I'm sorry, go, to go see Jonathan. And kind of, like, try to figure out more about, like, okay, do you have more pictures? Can you, like, and he, he ends up blowing that picture up to look at it closer. Because they have this whole conversation where, you know, he's heard his mom talk about the faceless person. And here she is talking to Jonathan about that situation she ran into behind Steve's house. She's like, yeah, I couldn't tell what it was, but it didn't look like it had a face. I think that's maybe what Jonathan says. Like, well, Mm -hmm. it didn't have a face or something like that. And they end up blowing this picture up and seeing that, oh, my gosh, like, you know, these people aren't crazy. Like, there's something there. And now Jonathan and Nancy are both kind of in the nose. Like, there's something out there that's not right. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting that when it's like that, that was a trigger for him when when she said, you know, like, you know, she's she's frustrated because it's like no one's listening to her and she she doesn't know really know what she saw. And then she says without a face. And then that kind of triggers him. It's like, oh, God, my mom said the same thing. You know, maybe she's not crazy after all. <laughs> yeah, because we just came off the scene where because he was at the funeral parlor. Yeah. And we just come off the scene where basically he's like, he's basically told his mom, he's like, you're batshit crazy, mom. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something we have to deal with right now. And that's, that's our, my brother, your son, who's dead. And she knew, like, she was like, no, that's that thing. I don't know what it is, but it is not my son. Yeah. And so he's coming off of that. And it's always kind of like, I hope I never have to experience this, like, in my life where I think somebody's batshit crazy. It's like, oh, no, actually, I saw a UFO, too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, fuck, there's UFOs in this world. <laughs> and so I really like that. I mean, I liked how he played it because they just kind of like, it's like, you know, the veil being lifted off your face. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, I, everything is so clear now. And, like, I understand, like, something bad is going on. Yeah. What a moment. Light bulb moment. Yeah, really good. But yeah, my number four, my number three is kind of tied into that Jonathan Nancy situation, just kind of the whole Barb investigation. It's hilarious. I, I swear, it's people are going to think that we talk about this before we podcast on it, but um, that's pretty close to my number three as well. But it was more specific just to Steve's attitude. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know? And I think you covered it pretty well. You know, he's like, you know, you got to lie to the cops. Don't tell them about the beer. He's so worried about his parents, and she's just looking at him like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> like, that's what they're going to worry about. There is a person that is legit missing. Like, Will is already missing, so the town is already kind of up in arms. And yeah, everybody thinks Joyce is a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but, you know, it doesn't change the fact that he's missing, and nobody knows what happened to him, and nobody can explain it yet. 
and now there's potentially another person missing and no one seems to really be like we don't hear too much from like barb's parents or have they called the the you know what what's happening from that and i guess they have like called the police because they're then questioning nancy about that night but it's like nobody seems to be taking it as seriously like they're just thinking it's just more teenage behavior like when someone's like what well, did she run away and it's like that's her best friend anybody in the world that knows you know knows her and knows that that's not something that she would do um you know and they're not listening to her at all it's like so frustrating um because they're kids you know these are all kids so we we're so dismissive of kids yeah you know and it's so frustrating especially in this time frame i think like in the early 80s it seems like it's like well you're a dumb kid what do you know yeah yeah well i'm I'm 22 years old yeah you're dumb go watch (laughs) your tv you dumb kid (laughs) yeah yeah, so it's, you know, and I get that frustration. I mean, I think we've probably all been there. I mean, we've all been kids at one point or another, and we've all been there trying to co- convince a parent or an adult, someone that, you know, I'm not kidding, I'm not crazy, or this, I really heard this, I saw this, whatever whatever it is, you know, and, and you just get dismissed because you're a kid, so obviously you have no relevance and or, and no point to make or any voice at all, and so I get that frustration. Um so I really think that, that Steve was definitely living up to the name that you've given him, Steve the D, um, in this episode. Um, we only saw him for just that short time, but it really just, you know, I really just wanted her to just, like, smack him. Yeah. I don't know, just something, you know, but, you know, she let him off, I thought, a little bit too easy. And I'm like, you still like him. You know, you still like yeah, him after that. That's, those dudes in high school, they always got the girls. I don't know why. <sighs> Well, I mean, you know, we're we're always a sucker for the bad boys, and I think that's yeah. kind of what he is. But I mean, there always comes a point when you're acting like an outright ass, you know. And especially that last episode really got me, where he was just so mean to Jonathan. And yeah, he was a bit of a creeper in that episode. But to break that camera, that would have been it for me. I'd be like, you know what? You've just went too far. That was yeah. He was a bit of a creeper. He needs to apologize. But break his camera, not cool. Yeah, I kind of, I, I think this, I just had a thought of like how if, if I wrote this episode, and this is why I don't get to write episodes, because <laughs> this whole scene in the alleyway, what it would have gone for me is he'd been like, okay, listen, Nancy, like, don't tell them about the party, or tell, I mean, it's just a gathering, we're studying, don't tell them about the beer, don't tell them about like how he like made love for like 30 minutes, and like it was the best, you like, I think you had like 15 orgasms, and or something crazy like that, and like, she just give him like the, like the, like, I don't know what kind of watch you were using, but like, I, I was timing it and, you know, the little hand didn't move very far. So I was counting ceiling tiles. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, yeah, Steve. It'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Yeah, I'm really curious. Like, that's that's one guy I would love to get seen sucked up into that, like, uh, abyss place and chased by the faceless monster. Like, like volunteer him to go in instead yeah. of poor Shepard and be like, yeah, we got you, buddy. We got you. And then cut the line from your end and be like, we don't know what happened. <laughs> but the problem is what happens is the monster would come out crying and be like, oh, Steve hooked up with me, but he didn't call me the next day. <laughs> it's like he slept with the monster, too. Jeez, Steve the D. What the hell? This guy just can't keep it in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, I knew some of those guys in high school. Um, okay, moving on. Number <laughs> two. What is your number two? All right. So my number two I have is the men from state. So small town, you know, we see Joyce and we see uh, Jonathan 
being taken to the uh, the coroner's office with with Hop. Hop's taking him there, and you know he's sitting there, and he's like, you know, Hopper's kind of like, well, what's taking so long? And he learns that Gary was let go that night. Like he, some people told him that they would take care of this. It was some guys from state, and it, it leads into a lot of interesting things. So it's very much kind of like conspiracy cover up, like a lot of red flags going up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, well, he talks to Gary and Gary's, you know, going on about like, yeah, you know, they told me to leave, yada, yada, yada. He's like, it's really strange considering and hop, you know, kind of prize. He's like, considering what? He's like, well, considering this is Will Byers and not JFK. Right. And so like you, you see, like, I love hop on this. Like, I know if this, if this was small town, like, you know, if you had the two goobers that were trying to, figure out that the the teenage people had sex, you know. If they were the ones running this case, like, they would be like, oh, yeah, it makes oh sense. God. Yeah. But Hop's like, okay, this is really, really weird. And so his investigation or his, like, undercover work at the bar was just awesome, too. Yes. Because, you know, he sits there and he kind of, like, drops some hints about, like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my daughter just won the spelling bee today. Um, I can't remember what the word was, but he's like, yeah, it's a fancy word for toothache. Yeah. And he just continues to pry, continues to pry. And he, he basically, you know, triggers the guy because he, the, the cop, the state trooper knows he did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I love that hop figures that out. And, you know, I don't know if this, how, if this is realistic or not, but you know, hop doesn't take that for the answer. You know, he basically beats an answer out of him. And then we learn that there's a car that's following these people. Yeah. Like, making sure that he's not talking. Like, what did they do to this guy? Because he's like, you know, they're going to, you've done it now. They're going to kill us. You know, because whenever yeah, Hop he, turns around, he's like, who ooh. are those guys? You know, and he sees him in that car. And it's like, well, what did they do to that guy? You know, how did they threaten him? You know, what did they say to him to, you know, hold up to that story? Or at least until um, Hopper beat, the, beat it out of him essentially and i don't think he's supposed to do that just saying as he's since he's the cop i mean i'm not against what he did i'm pretty sure though as a cop he's not supposed to be doing that <laughs> but i don't yeah, know probably not but uh, yeah it's uh i just i mean it just like it's you don't it, i don't even know really how to put it into words but it's, it seems very realistic even though it's not yeah like it's not it's not the uh murder she wrote style of oh it was so and so at the diner room with the wax it's, candle it's, yeah it's like not so scooby-doo yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like he's, you know, at first he doesn't believe Joyce is freaking out about this. Like, he's like, okay, well, like, like this sucks. Like, this kid fell in, you know, accidentally and drowned. Mm-hmm. But then all these things just don't add up. And instead of just being like, okay, well, I guess it's just how it is. He does police work. Right. Even though he's basically going against other police officers, he's trying to figure out, okay, like, is there anything here? And we learn that there is stuff there, but... Yeah, it kind of just goes into like the men from state and kind of Hopper being able to kind of, you know, follow these breadcrumbs to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I really, I'm in total agreement with you because if he wasn't in charge and if it was either anyone else or anyone like those two other fellows that were questioning Nancy, like these two Barney Fife. You know, yeah. they, they may not be as bad as like Barney Fife, but they're they're just small town cops who just don't seem to know the questions to ask. They don't know the leads to follow. They're not they don't seem to be questioning a whole lot. And, you know, Hopper is because it's he's right, because this is a small, small town. I mean, not that a kid 
disappearing and dying is not a huge deal, but it's a small town. It's, a, it's no one of super importance, you know, like the parents or, or, or somebody big in the town or something like they have a name behind them or something, you know? So why, why all this, um, red tape? Why did state make this corner go home and why did they take care of it? What's the big deal? Why are they, like you said, it's Will Byers, it's not JFK. So it's, it's really cool to see Hopper, taking that questioning nature and then following the leads, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, that leads him to that cop in the bar. Um, and then that leads him back to the morgue later, um, which I thought was really cool. And I'll definitely get to that. But um, yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. I just, I know I talk about Hopper every episode, but I love him. I do. I just, I love his character. I love the guy playing uh, his character. I think he's really doing a great job. And like you said, it's believable because, yeah, I, exactly. you know, I think that it's, you know, I think that was kind of big in the 80s, like these conspiracy theory movies. Um, I don't know if you've seen, and I'm trying to think of what that Meryl Streep movie was. And I just totally drew a blank, but I know Winona Ryder used it as inspiration. Um, you know, of these cover-ups, these government cover-ups and conspiracies that, you know, some are pretty far-fetched, but, you know, some, some of them you kind of think, like, that's not so far-fetched that something well, like mean- that could happen, you know? Every now and then some come true. I mean, there was the conspiracy theory that the government's watching you through your computer. Hi, government. Hi. And we're, guess we're, what? We're waving. They, they kind of were. Yeah. You know, there's, there was a conspiracy theory that, you know, they were doing like LSD experiments on people. And it's like, no, the government wouldn't do that. And, and 20 years later, like, oh, yeah, actually, they, they were. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's not too far-fetched to think that something – because who would – it's not like this is happening happening in, like, a big town. This is happening in, in, in a small town where they're assuming people aren't going to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. You know, they're – you know, as long as, you know – like, they're, they can do these little experiments, but this – something has happened anyway to cause this event and this other, like, dimension or just whatever, you know, has caused this to – these chain of events to start happening. You know, they can just keep doing all these strange things, you know, at least until until all of this happens. But um, it just – it's it's not that far-fetched. And like you said, very believable. And the way that he, you know, very um, – just uses his police um, techniques to, because it's really not that difficult. I mean, he's really good and really suave at what he's doing and how he's playing it and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's it's really just good to detective work. So it's not like he has yeah, any mean, superpowers like, helping him. Yeah, like you said, it's not far-fetched. I mean, like the first thing is like, okay, well, I found this piece of cloth, which seemed kind of odd. So let me, and, and I see this cloth in these pictures of this stuff. So let me go and check out this you know, this facility, and it's just like, you know, what they showed us, there was no rain. It was raining that night, which, again, like, you'd be like, if that's the only weird thing, it's like, okay, well, maybe they didn't want us to see something else. Like, maybe this is what they show everybody because it's a government house or whatever. Right. Show them the but standard just leads, tape. Yeah, it just leads into, okay, like, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't make sense, okay. Then you just start getting more and more down that rabbit hole of investigation, which is really what he's doing. He's just investigating. He's following all of his leads and making sure that he doesn't leave any stone unturned. Um, on a side note, one thing I saw, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with with specifically uh, the investigation, but when he was at the bar, I noticed on Hopper's wrist, he had, it almost looked like a bracelet like a kid would make. Um, oh. I saw it on my second watch through and kind of looked at it a little bit closer Again, this could just be something David Harbour wears, uh-huh. um, but it, I was kind of curious if that had anything to do with Sarah because it was just kind of like it looked like you know something a kid would weave and give to like a, a dad on Father's Day. Oh, I totally missed that. Good pickup. 
Yeah, so it's something I'm going to kind of keep an eye out for. I don't know if it's going to play in anything else. Like I said, it may just be, you know, something he wears because maybe it's his in real life his kids gave him that. But yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting to see that kind of on full display right there as he's talking about his daughter. Yeah. Well, and that makes total sense because it's something that girls like to do, you know, make jewelry and, you know, young girls like to, you know, if you paint a picture or draw a picture, you give it to your parents. If you make something, you know, even though, you know, as a dad, they wouldn't typically want to wear something like that. But, you know, his daughter gives it to him and he wears it. I think that's that would totally make sense. So really good point. I totally did not pick up on that. So I'm going to be watching for that as well and see if um, that comes to play. Um, either in the season or the next. So very good. And I was drawing a blank while ago for anybody that wants to know what the hell movie I was talking about. It was Silkwood with Meryl Streep. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. I think you talked about it first episode, maybe or second. I did because Winona Ryder kind of drew her inspiration for her character of Joyce and her haircut (laughs) from, (laughs) from Silkwood. It's a really good movie. Um, okay. Tell me you love Kurt Russell. Oh, Kurt Russell. Yeah. He's way up there. So Kurt Russell's in this movie. Okay, that that gets me in right does that, away. Does that do it for you if Meryl yeah. Streep doesn't do it? Um, it's really good. So I, Kurt I Russell, like, uh, a side tangent, Kurt Russell's, like, even at this age, like, he is still a badass. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah. Goldie Hawn, like, they've been together for a long time. I don't think they've been married. And no. I'm sure it's Hollywood, so I'm sure that's not the only woman he's been with for the last 30 years. But the fact that they've been together that long as a couple is just kind of cute, yeah. in my opinion. And they still seem super crazy about each other, which is yeah, adorable. Yeah. When you see them together, they look like they're still really crazy about each other, which I love. Yeah, I love them both. Um, love Kurt Russell. Love a young Kurt Russell. Um, so, yeah, he's in this as well. So, yeah, check out Silkwood, guys. It's really good. If you like, um, you know, I won't give any kind of plot away, but if you like anything about, you know, um, you know, a little bit of conspiracy theories and cover-ups and different things. Um, it's a really good movie. I, I, I know it's old, and I said that there was, like, a timeline on spoilers, but I won't tell anything about this one, but it's really good. Um, Cher's in it, too, so, hey, bonus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you believe in love love? <laughs> Thank you for that, Sean. <laughs> You got to bust out that whenever you talk about Cher. Absolutely. I didn't know we were going to get such a treat whenever I brought up Cher. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to do it every time now. Um, so, okay, so my number two, we'll get back on track here. Mine is very short. I don't have too much to say because there's not a lot to say about it because it kind of speaks for itself. I really, really like the scene. Uh, you know, that all the kids, like you, you had mentioned before, the science teacher, and I'm usually good with names, and his name escapes me, but I love, love that science teacher. The science teacher hustles all the kids to the assembly. You know, they all walk in. They go through it. They're sitting in the crowd, and they see those two little bully assholes, um, you know, kind of, you know, mocking the whole situation, which yeah. they at this point don't really believe Will is dead, but it's still the fact that other people do, and it's still being very disrespectful you know, to Will in his memory and the fact that he might not be dead, but he is still missing. You know, the boys know that he's missing. So, you know, they witnessed this and I really, really loved it when Mike stood up to that bully Troy. And this uh-huh. didn't hit me until I was making my notes uh, when they said Troy. And I thought, cause I just um, was watching Fear the Walking Dead yesterday. And uh, there's a character in Fear the Walking Dead named Troy, who's 
um, bit of a bully, bit of a psychopath <laughs> for anyone that watches that <laughs> show. And I thought, oh my God, this little bully's name is Troy too. Is this a, are all kids named Troy bullies? Sorry, anyone named Troy out there listening. <laughs> I don't really mean that. I don't know. I'm asking that question. Tell me, are you a bully? Because if you are, stop it. Um, <laughs> But I really hashtag bullying's wrong, Troy. Yes, <laughs> but I really, really love that moment where Mike, because you see them throughout, you know, like from episode one from the beginning, where none of them are standing up, even as a group. I mean, there's two of these boys and four, and at least when Will is around five, you know, um, and and they don't do anything. Oh, no, I'm sorry, is it four of them? And it's just the three. I'm sorry, my numbers are off. Margarita people, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But anyway, even when there's even when these two bullies are outnumbered, they still as a group don't they they're, they're still fearful, they still back down, they still take his crap. When Mike is just like had enough and he's and he pushes him and knocks him down and oh my gosh, I just love that because I'm like, you know, I just I don't I don't like bullies. I don't I don't think that's cool. You know, at all. And that boy totally got what he deserved. And then, uh, you know, I thought it was really cool because he didn't know that Eleven was going to help. So, you know, that boy, he's like, oh, you're in for it now. You know, as he starts to get up from the ground and he starts charging after Mike. And you see Mike just kind of steal himself. He's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, I might have fucked up a little bit here, but I'm taking it. I'm not backing down. I'll take whatever is coming to me. And then you see Eleven. Well, you don't really see her do anything, um, but, you know, you see her in the background and you know it's her because when as he mm -hmm. stops just in mid mid stride, you know, as he's walking um, and you're like, oh, oh, what's going on? And you just see like 11 kind of in the you don't it's not focused on her. The camera's like focused on Mike, um, but you see her in the back and she's just like real still and you can kind of see her head down just a little bit like when she's in that mode. And he looks back at her and sees that, oh, this is, it's 11. And it was just such, such a super cool moment. The kid pisses his pants. Yes. Which was awesome because he totally deserved it. The whole school is laughing, you know, which I thought was great because it's like, well, that just totally deflated that boy's ego and maybe he'll actually, you know, leave these kids alone. He totally got what was coming to him. And I loved, loved it as it was over and Mike looks back at Elle, and she, like, swipes her nose, like, with attitude. And, you know, she's got the blood coming down her nose like she always does when she uses her superpowers. And she just kind of, like, hmm, you know, yeah, swipes her nose. Was, yeah, just a quick <laughs> little wipe, and she just turns and walks away. Yeah, like. Beautiful. Exactly. It was it was beautifully done, beautifully executed, and really loved that moment. So, you know, it was a short kind of seeing just a couple of minutes and so there you know not too much really to talk about it but I just I loved it so much that I wanted to talk about it because I thought it was great well, I love that I mean that scene too is very much like it's it's like the Christmas story effect it's like oh well this guy's old he's a great older so like there's no way I can defend myself against him so I'm gonna let him push me around mm -hmm. and just like in a Christmas story it's like you know what I've had enough of your crap dude and you just flip out and you show him like listen I'm I may be small but I am fierce yeah and that's, you know, like in that whole situation, Mike was like, I'll take an ass whooping, but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you know what you did is wrong. Yeah. Standing up for his friend. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like this, this reminded me of kind of the, a story from high school where, so like you talk about like, like this kid's missing and they're kind of making fun of it. I don't know if it's just, if, if, you know, high school kids or younger kids just don't quite understand severity of things. Because I remember, um, this was, this was when like nine 11 happened. Like I was in high school at this point and they, 
you know, small school like this. So we're in an assembly and our principal's kind of up there, like explaining all this stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And like some kids were like snickering and laughing in the corner. Oh, wow. Because I don't think they quite like acknowledge what was go- like, I don't know if they saw a video or anything yet, but you know, she like kind of flipped out and dropped the book on. I was like, listen, this is like a very serious situation. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she dropped a few curse words, which in that moment, like that's, it's like, yeah, you can drop curse words in that situation because that was a crazy time. Yeah. But it's kind of like the same situation. It's like, it's just, I don't think sometimes kids actually think that it's like what you're doing is not appropriate whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's some, you call them out on their bullshit. They're old enough at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, high school, they should really, well, of course, again, I don't think we saw the stuff that happened. So, yeah. But still, it's, yeah. Young and naive is probably about the best way to put it. Definitely. I think at some point with children, you know I wouldn't say that necessarily you get a pass but you have to always kind of keep in mind that depending on the age of the child and what their capacity for understanding and how the brain is still developing at certain ages and what they can understand you know uh, on on their behavior and stuff on how they're behaving um so I think you know they don't necessarily get a pass but that's something I think you always have to take into consideration but I think high school you probably should have a pretty yeah. good <laughs> pretty good grasp on um on the severity of uh, and the seriousness of a situation so yeah probably totally appropriate at the time so that was my number two what's oh you already went didn't you uh totally yeah i think we're i think i'm on my number one now what's your number one so my number one i i have to go with the title of the episode and it's the body yes so not again i haven't been spoiled on this episode so i i I have no clue when this episode starts, if that's the actual will or if it's something else. And you see Joyce flip out and it's, you know, I can imagine a mother in this scenario being like, listen, I don't like, that's not my son. Whatever that thing is, that is not my son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, the thing that she asked about was some birthmark and that's where the scene kind of cut. So I don't know if they, there wasn't a birthmark or maybe it didn't look right or what, what it was. But again, a mother knows her baby. And if she asked for to see a birthmark and there wasn't there, then she knew that that's not her son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jonathan thinks she's crazy. I'm sure Hopper thinks she's crazy. And we get to go down this whole scenario, this whole episode is like, okay, well, is this, is this actually, you know, is this actually Will or, or who is this? And you see Hop, you know, all the stuff that he's figured out, he's like, okay, I got to know for sure. And the guts it would take to do what he did. Oh, right. So... He breaks into the the morgue first off, and like the guy pops up and he's like, "Oh hey, I ran into your buddy. I think it's O'Banner." Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, "Well, I don't work with O'Banner." He's like, "Oh, I meant um." And I love this because <laughs> what he was trying to do, which is great police work, is to make that guy tell him who his partner was. Exactly. So he's basically like, "Oh, it must have been um, um," and the guy was either too smart or too dumb to realize what he was doing. Didn't say anything. He's like, "Oh well." I guess it was just five fingers to the mouth. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Knocks him out. But the guts to go into this morgue and first off, just look at the body. And he touched it and he's like, you could see that like, okay, something's not right about this. Uh-huh. But then to cut open what could be a body. For all he knows, he could have cut it open. It would have been a, just human organs. Yeah, he doesn't know yet. Yeah. And what does he find on the inside? Cotton, it looked like. Yes, it was just like a stuffed full of cotton. Like a stuffed animal, but a little bit thicker cotton stuff, yeah. And in that moment, you're like, oh, shit just got real. Yeah. Like, Hopper, like, his mind's got to be blown. He's got to figure out how to sew this kid back together. Yeah, he's got to try to cover uh, up his (laughs) cover-up. Yeah, exactly. 
But I mean, that's just like, again, that's just kind of like when Jonathan realized that there, okay, there is something faceless out here. Now Hopper's like, Oh shit, Joyce isn't crazy. Like something's, something's not right. Yeah. All the pieces, it's like the pieces are coming together yet. We still don't really know anything. Yeah. It's just enough to know. He's like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is serious. Like the dude said that we're both going to die because we messed up here. Like that could very well happen. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, that's, that's really good. I totally, I totally agree with you. And that kind of, did you have anything else you want to say? Cause that kind of leads me into my number one. Uh, no, that's pretty much the, the okay, main thing. So I we'll, we'll kind of go, we'll kind of stay around that because my number one, um, is just the general feel the people in this episode and their feelings of helplessness and the actions that they're taking because of, of that helplessness. What, what's a result of that helplessness? So I think we've got a couple of different characters in the episode feeling that, you know, you've got Joyce. She just, she feels completely helpless because nobody's listening to her. She's telling them, you know, she's just been informed Will's body has been found. And she's like, no, no, no. I was just talking to him. Look at the lights. Look at this. I was just communicating with him. It's not, you know, this is crazy. He's not dead. They take her to the morgue where it's like, okay, we're going to show you proof how much more proof can you get than, you know, your, and, and God, how heartbreaking can that be? Seriously. I mean, as a parent, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Can you imagine there's nothing more terrible, you know, than, than, you know, thinking about having to be in that kind of situation. So I think it's, if you're a parent, yeah. you know, it's terrible that everybody knows that it's terrible, but when you're a parent, it really kind of hits home. Um, so how terrible she's on the other side of that glass wall and you know she's being asked to identify her son she still doesn't believe it and I'm like you it's like she's like okay well he's got a birthmark on his right arm was it there because he you see she's like he's got a birthmark and you see in the reflection that that person um you know whoever whoever it is I'm guessing it's one of these agents or one of those um state people um you know raise start to bring his arm out from underneath the cover well was there something there because then it cuts and you see her like busting out the doors in hysterics Mm -hmm. you know that's not him i don't know what you think that thing is (laughs) you know she's so vehement (laughs) in her reaction you know like you know somebody is is messing with me somebody's doing something i don't know what it is but all she knows is her son's missing and she's going to find him so you see her taking action. Uh, she's busting through the wall. She's trying to communicate with Will. She's blasting that song that she knows that he loves to try to draw him out and bring kind of like bring him home. That this is if you can hear this, it will lead you home. Um, so she's that. That's what she's doing. And you see Hopper, and we've talked about him a lot throughout the episode. So I won't go too far. Um, but you see, in the beginning, he feels because at this point he, you know, at the end he's in a different place. But in the beginning, he he thinks Will is dead and he feels like a failure. You can just see it in his face. Like yeah. when, in the previous episode at the very end, when he, they, they pull him out and he, you just see that in his face. Like, Oh my God, that's Will. You just see that his face drop and he, you can tell he just feel like he feels like a failure that he didn't do enough to, to find Will alive and to bring him home alive. Um, and that it, it's too late. You see it when he, he stays in his car, when everybody's leaving, um, after they've told Joyce that, that Will was dead, he stays in his car and st- like, he's getting ready to leave and he turns off his car and just like sleeps in his car outside the house. Like he's just going to stay there in some capacity as like a form of, of comfort or something. I'm not really sure, but that's what it seemed like to me. That's yeah. That's the gist I got is like, he was staying there kind of for Joyce. Yeah. It's like, I'm here just 
So first thing in the morning, like when I wake up, I'm already yeah. here for and, her. And just to help maybe keep an eye on things, because I mean, she she is a little erratic, and I think he knows that. So I think he just wants to help kind of keep an eye on her, and then just to be there for her um, should should she need some support. Because it's just her and her son. They're alone in the world. Um, and her son, well, he's a child. I mean, he's in high school, but he's a child too. Um, and, you know, she needs someone to kind of lean on. So Hopper's doing that for her, which I thought was really touching. And, and then you touched on it earlier, you know, where he starts, you know, Hopper starts to question things. He starts, he goes to the corner, he goes to the morgue. And did you notice whenever, and this happened really fast, and even on my second watch, I almost missed it, when he opens up when like he pulls that drawer out of the morgue the first thing he sees was not will's face didn't look like a, a daughter his i don't know what his daughter looks like but didn't it look like a girl's face oh i think yeah, I missed to me that. it looked like because he kind of leered back and jumped back like oh like it was like he didn't see will he saw it looked like a female child huh. laying there and and it was yeah I mean, that's that. what i thought i saw and um he kind of jumped back startled because he wasn't expecting that um, and I think that this particular episode, because we know something has happened to his daughter, um, she is apparently dead as well, but we don't know what happened. We don't know circumstances um, as to what happened, but obviously him being as a parent can really relate where Joyce is coming from, dealing with the death of a child. And I think this has probably, everything that's currently happening has dredged up a lot for him. So I think that's who he was seeing at first. And then when he looks back, then he sees what we believe to be Will lying um, there on the slab. Um, so we see all the, the steps that he's taking. He cuts open the body, sees that the stuffing is there. He's going all rogue, beating up that guy outside the bar, totally not being a you know, straight up cop questioning. He's going undercover. Then you see him decide to break into the facility. He's like, fuck this, I'm going to find out what the hell's going oh, on, yes. which I oh, thought was yeah. super cool. Um, and then one other person I thought that, you know, um, we've talked about a little bit was Nancy. She's feeling really helpless. She, and, you know, she screams at her mom. She's like, you are not listening to me. She's telling the cops, you are not listening to me. Nobody's believing her about Barb, that this is not, she, she didn't run away. This is not just some little thing that she, something, she is in danger. Something's happened. I know her, you know, she's putting together the torn picture. She goes to Jonathan. And I really like that moment. It's kind of outside the scope of this a little bit where he finally admitted he was a little bit of a creeper <laughs> and he yeah, it was kind of like almost yeah. sweet though. It's like I know it's weird, and she's like, "It's not." He's like, "No, it's yeah, it's I shouldn't weird. have done that. That was that was wrong." And I thought, okay, so I gave him a little bit of shit the last episode because I'm like, man, that's hard to kind of come back from. That was a really creepy, <laughs> creepy thing that he did taking those pictures of her. Um, but she seemed to not be too offended by. It. I think she was probably slightly creeped out in the other episode, but she seemed to be, you know, kind of letting him off the hook a little bit, which I thought was really nice of her. Um, and he did apologize, so he redeemed himself um, in that moment that he admitted that was probably not his best moment. So I did like that. But I just thought, you know, we had all these characters feeling these feelings of helplessness and nobody's listening to them. You know, because in Hopper, I mean, he hasn't expressed these feelings to anyone because he's not sure himself what's going on. I think that he's not one to bring this stuff up unless he feels he's got something concrete or some real evidence. So he doesn't have anyone to listen to him, but... Um, I think he just felt really helpless with, with Will being gone and that he couldn't do anything to save him. But he obviously now knows something is going on. So that was my number one. I like it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a lot of cool stuff yeah. happening with that. I mean, it's really good points. A lot in this episode. So uh, I guess, do you have any extra notes then? I had a lot of notes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so much. And all just looking over them, the first note that I have, I'm just going to jump into it. Sorry, I'm going to totally railroad you here. Um, you mentioned earlier, and that's why it's fresh on my mind, whenever Hopper came into the morgue and was, you know, trying to trip up that cop into, you know, kind of giving up that person's name as to who he was working for or with. Um, did you notice what the cop was reading? He was reading uh -uh. Cujo from Stephen King. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, you didn't see the you cool. didn't see the cover, but you saw the the back sleeve with Stephen King's picture on it. And when Hopper came in, he's like, "Oh yeah, crazy dog," or or some remark like that. And I was like, "He's <laughs> he's reading Cujo, super cool." <laughs> so nice little reference. That's kind of um, interesting. Okay, I was trying to figure out when that came out. So it came out in eighty one. So yeah, it would make sense. That'd be a pretty popular book at that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stephen King was definitely popular. <clears throat> you know, even in that time. So, um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, because also, uh, in part of my notes that is related to this with Stephen King and Cujo was that the title of the show, the body, is that ringing a bell for you? Cause I know you're a Stephen that's, King fan. Uh, yeah. I think that's the, uh, the short story he wrote that was, um, inspired the inspiration for stand by me, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that title of the show was kind of like a little throwback or a little um, uh, praise of, of Stephen King. So it was really cool to see that sprinkled throughout uh, with that book and then the title of the show. Um, I thought one little kind of, it, it wasn't a funny moment, but whenever I was thinking about it, it was just, you know, interesting to me. You've talked a lot about Mike's dad being like this typical 80s dad who has like no idea what's going on in his kids' yeah. lives. But you see... <laughs> But he actually, in this moment, showed concern. Kind the, of, yeah. Kind of, because he's but... like, you know, do you want me to go talk to Michael? Should I Should I go down and talk? Because he says, not you, not we, should I. And I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, hey, good for you, Mike's dad. And, and see, he's so insignificant to me, I can't even remember his name. Um, because he's just the dad that lies uh, in his recliner and falls asleep watching the news. Yeah, I still um, kind of wrote F and Ted on that. Because it's like, he's, <laughs> he's asking his wife, it's like... <laughs> So, like, uh, I know his friend died, but should I go talk to him? Do you think or? we should talk to him? Yeah, he yeah. just got the news his friend was dead. Should we <laughs> talk to him? Yeah, you, you do have a good point. Your, your point's better than my point. I bow down, Sean. That was, that I mean, was least, far superior. He at least cared enough to ask. I mean, it could have, like, probably realistically, he'd be sitting in the, the, the chair. He's like, hey, when's a... Uh, When's, uh, when's what's dinner? our kid's name? Or when's dinner? Um, yeah, when's <laughs> dinner? And then is Mike's friend Will coming over ever again? Like, I haven't seen him for a while. <laughs> right. He's so disconnected <laughs> from <laughs> what's going on, which I think is pretty typical. It's definitely, I think, kind of different times. I think parents, and I mean, there were good parents then too. I think uh, Mike's mom is pretty cool. I think she's really involved in her children, but I think that's pretty typical of, of the dads at that time. Sorry, Edie's dads. You know, I'm not, not down in anybody. I'm sure you were very involved with your children's lives. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was kind of a funny moment. I'm like, well, at least he's actually seems to be somewhat connected to what's happening at the time. And he seemed really sad about it anyway, um, that his son was going through that. Um, Jonathan and Joyce arguing in the street and everybody's, like, standing around just really took me back. I was like, oh, joys of a small town. Everybody knows your damn yeah. business. Yeah. You know, how long before that? you know, argument that they had, um, and news, you know, sprinkles throughout the town. So I was just like, ugh, kind of, you know, took me back a little bit about how everybody knows what the hell you're doing, probably even before you're doing it. Yeah. Um, 
Another note that I had was Lucas. I really like how he questions his friends. He can stand up to them, you know, because they're, you know, Mike is trying to convince him that, you know, Eleven is communicating with Will. Will's not dead. Dustin's kind of buying into it without, you know, really questioning it too much. He's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, Will's alive. But Lucas is kind of like, you know, well, what what the heck was that in the water? You know, we saw him dead. You know, he, he was, he, like, he's a little bit doubtful and skeptical, and I appreciate that. I think it would be really boring to have all of them, you know, kind of follow along. And I, I just think that's really interesting that... You know, you've got the one friend who's who's not so quick to believe everything, at least until he can see it. You know, he's not just going to – he needs some proof anyway. Um, and then I think that – I think that was about all my notes. The other stuff we've already pretty much covered. So – oh, one other thing. Sorry. This is going to be long. I'm really going to jump in here. Did you notice um, whenever Nancy – uh, was in the classroom. I'm guessing it was like an English or literature class, and she got called. Um, the teacher was reading um, a, something I, out of a I book. I didn't pick up what he was reading, though. What was it? So this, t- it's, it's from a book. Well, it's from a novella. I'm sorry. Um, it's by an author named Joseph Conrad, and it was his most read novella called Heart of Darkness. Um, and it, it, I thought it was really interesting because um, I found it interesting just in the few words that were spoken in the show. It, it piqued my curiosity enough that I had to go look this up. So this heart of darkness kind of has a double meaning in its title. Um, one dictionary meaning is the title refers to the interior of the Africa called Congo. Another hidden meaning is the title stands for the darkness or primitiveness that every person possesses in his or her mind and heart. The etymological meaning of the phrase heart of darkness is the innermost region of the territory, which is yet to be explored, where people led the nomadic and primitive way of living. The setting time of the novel, Heart of Darkness, takes dates back to those periods when the continent of Africa was not fully explored. So the continent was called the Heart of Darkness. The central character, Kurtz, which we hear the teacher reading um, whenever the principal or whoever comes in, um, he comes under the influence of the savages and becomes one of them in the same dark place called the Congo. The savages and Kurtz, in fact, belong to the heart of darkness. The term heart of darkness stands for another meaning, too, and the journey of Kurtz and Marlowe, which is another character, to explore the interior of the dark continent called Congo is not only the physical search of some of the territory, but it's an exploration of the innermost part of the human mind and the human heart. The geographical search is comparatively easier than the search of oneself, one's dark continent. Both Kurtz and Marlowe are in an implied sense in the journey to find their dark region of mind and heart. In the case of Kurtz, he cannot hold the mystical and attractive power of his savagery self, his suppressed primitive self, and gives in. He fails to control his moral restraint. He submits to the dark side of his personality and becomes one savage. He reaches to the heart of darkness but cannot resist its power upon him, and he cannot come back from his subconscious state of mind. But in the case of Marlowe, he too travels to the heart of darkness, the subconscious. He reaches there and witnesses the heavy influence of primitive self on Kurtz. So one critic commented upon the title of the novel, Heart of Darkness, states that the darkness here is many things. It is the unknown, it is the subconscious, it is the moral darkness, it is the evil which swallows up Kurtz, and it is the spiritual emptiness which he sees at the center of the existence. But above all, it is a mystery itself, the mysteriousness of man's spiritual life. That was really long, but I thought that was really interesting because we talk a lot about the darkness um, leading to where, we, you know, wherever Will and Barb are. And I think also to the heart of darkness of 
Dr. Brenner and whomever mm, he's mm-hmm. working with. And I think it shows that darkness in man. And this novella actually inspired Apocalypse Now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if, if, you've, if you've watched Apocalypse Now and dissected it and talked about it and know a lot about the story, um, that this particular book. Yeah, I just looked. You can actually it. get it on uh, like an iBook. It's free. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody wants to check it out, I, I just download it. So I'm probably going to give it a read because that sounds super interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I heard it's a hard read. Like the the author purposely made it hard to read. Um, so I'm not really sh- sure the you know meaning behind that. There's a tons out there if you want to check that out for yourself. Um, so yeah, I just I just thought that was really interesting. Like why why that little bit? Why did we get it? How does that relate to the show? And the darkness within man, I think, is kind of what it kind of comes down to. Like the darkness that we see wherever, whatever's lurking out there, whatever pieces that we're seeing or glimpses that we're seeing of this darkness, wherever Will and Barb could be, wherever poor Shepherd who didn't get his hazard pay, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that kind of darkness. Also, the 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 darkness that lives in man. I thought that was interesting. I know that was long, yeah, so th- thanks for bearing always, with me. <laughs> oh, no, that's perfect. That's cool. I, those are always the things I miss, but I love how, like, I don't know if it was a director or who kind of said, like, oh, this would be pretty cool to put in here because it's going to have a lot more deep meaning and everything and fit perfectly with the the uh, theme that we're going on. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like I was focused on Nancy the whole time trying to get a read on what she was going through that I kind of spaced out on that. But it's cool, like when people can bring that in, be like, "Oh, there's this other meaning to it." So that way, you go back and rewatch it, and then maybe even read this book. It's like, "Oh my gosh, this means so much!" And it's just cool that like somebody that's creating this show thought to do that. I know. I'm like, I I can't even begin to you know think of the layers um, of, of of writing a show like this. You know, and like you said, these little sprinkles and little gems you get throughout. That I thought, you know, because this kind of has to do with what we're learning about. Um, in in the show uh, within people and also an actual maybe physical place um, like this book you know Africa is a dark place called the dark continent but then also it goes into the darkness of man which I think that we're seeing as well so I thought that was really interesting I thought oh if, if only I could be that creative <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be here podcasting with you Sean <laughs> <laughs> So and I would be sad. It so would be really it sad. <laughs> it would be really sad. Well, did you? What were your notes? I'm sorry, that was really long on my. Oh part, no, but, you're fine. Uh, uh, I mean, you pretty much touched on most of my notes. We pretty much talked about just about everything. Um, the only thing that I noted was whenever uh, Hopper left and Joyce made that beeline to the shed to get the axe. Yeah. When she was walking, she was a mom on a mission. Mm-hmm. And the thought I had with that is like nobody messes with Mama Bear. Like she was going, she was getting her claws out by getting an axe, and if that thing came back through, like she was gonna chop the crap out of that thing. Yeah. And I just, I mean, it, the way she just kind of stunk, like it, it was seemed very exaggerated, but it was very somebody on a mission, and I kind of really dug that. That was a super cool moment. Do you think that when she came back from the shed, that she intended, at least at that very moment, because she sat down on the couch with just holding that axe. Do you think that that was just in defense? Like if that damn monster comes crawling through that wall again, I'm chopping its damn head off. Or do you think she intended? No, to I think it was more wall? of like if when that thing comes back through this wall, like I'm not running, like I am gonna kill this thing, or it's gonna kill me. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the vision I got. Yep, I kind of agree with that. It didn't look like she, it, it kind of looked like an afterthought, like, oh, you know what, I think I'm just going to bust through this wall and see if yeah, I can get yeah. back to Will. But yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was more of like a, a defense 
thing that she wasn't going to run out of the house this time. She was going to stand her ground. Yeah. Like Will or like what Mike did with the bully. So yeah. Cool. Good notes. Okay. So I think we're ready for some news. A little bit of news that we have for Stranger Things. And I think we have got something maybe about Netflix as well. Do you want to yep. start off? Uh, I'll start off. So the first one is from Nerdist. So it's a rare thing for a performer to have two blockbuster franchises to their credit early in their careers. And yet Finn Wolfhard has managed to score one of the leading roles in both Stephen King's It and Stranger Things within the same calendar year. That impressive feat means he's in one of the biggest movies of the year and one of the most popular shows. Although Wolfhard's character Richie Tozen and Mike Wheeler both had to face unimaginable horrors in their respective stories, they had two very different personalities, which I agree completely mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, they're like characters completely different. Wolfhard recently shared his playlist from It, which he made with Richie and mine. It's kind of an inside-out way to get into the character, but perhaps it's better than taking a trip through the Upside Down. There's definitely a lot of 80s classics on Wolfhard's playlist, including two from David Bowie, Heroes, and Starman, which we obviously know is from the 70s, but still. As well as two from The Cure, Love Song and In Between Days. Guns N' Roses also received dual representation with Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine. I love that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Wolfhard's list isn't too surprising, given the era that is supposed to represent. Although Toto's Africa, AHA's Take On Me, and the B-52's Rock Lobster seem a little given seem a little light given the unrelating darkness that Richie and his friends face. Friends had to face. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that he picked the movie, the like the songs from the the time frame he was kind of in, which is kind of from the the book it, Richie uh, spoilers from the book. um, When he grows up, he becomes a a DJ, like a jockey, like a well-known jockey. Really? Yeah, and in in the the book, like music has a really big influence on stuff in there too. So it's pretty cool that he's kind of picked like the harder rock type stuff. Yeah, I like it. I was really impressed with his list, and I thought, okay, did someone help him? Did he just kind of poke around himself and pick some favorites? Um, I I was pretty impressed. Pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I really I really liked it. I I hate clowns, but damn it, I went and watched <laughs> it again this last weekend and nice. this is good. Yeah, I've seen it you twice. You saw it at a uh, a drive-in too, didn't I you? I did. The second time around was at a at our drive-in, so That you know. takes some guts. You, you know what? Well, you know what? I have my dog with me, so <laughs> Oh, but you saw it by yourself, like you didn't go with somebody else? No, I did. Um, I was with my daughter and one of her friends, and um, oh, okay. I saw it the first time with my daughter because um, I dragged her to it. She was absolutely – she. I almost had to peel her out of the door to get her through the doors of the movie theater to come see it with me because um, <laughs> she is even more petrified than I am. I really might have traumatized her a little bit by allowing her to watch it when she was little. <laughs> <laughs> Bad parent, sorry. Um but yeah, it really it really affected her when she was little, and she was really scared to go watch this. Um, she does have an appreciation for it, but yet it still kind of scared her a little bit. But yeah, her friend um, wanted to go see it. She hadn't seen it yet, so uh, we went with her with her friend to watch it. And yeah, it was at the drive-in. It was super cool. I mean, what's what's more awesome than watching a scary movie at a drive-in? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's the experience. So. Okay. Next article is from Entertainment Weekly, and this is just a little bit more. It's kind of Stranger Things and a little bit of Netflix news at the same time. So we know that um, Netflix always kind of gets ready to release its list uh, of things that are coming out in October. And since this is a Stranger Things podcast, you know, this October, Netflix is bringing us what we want. 
Um, but they're taking away 30 Rock. Sorry, 30 Rock fans. It's a really great show. Um, the titles coming to the streaming site next month include Season 2 of the original series and 80s throwback juggernaut Stranger Things. Yay! Um, and also some great movie comedies from the aughts like Miss Congeniality and Tall- Talladega Nights. Um, documentaries mm-hmm. on icons Marsha P. Johnson, Joan Didion, a new comedy special from Patton Oswalt, um, who mm-hmm. won both a Grammy and an Emmy for his last Netflix hour, Talking for Clapping. So looking forward to that one. Um, and because, hey, October means Halloween, right? So to satisfy your spooky cravings just before Halloween, Netflix is adding Cult of Chucky. Jonathan yeah, Groff's. I'm in on that one. Yeah, Jonathan Groff's serial detective drama Mind Hunter, and the Stephen King novel adaptation 1922. Um, and we'll post a story. I'm not going to list everything because they list everything um, weekly or daily, whichever it is it's releasing in Netflix in October. I'm not going to read you that entire list, but we will post it. Um, if you like in the show notes, if you want to check out that full list of what's coming to Netflix in October. Um, but I thought it was pretty relevant since Stranger Things is being released. And there's a couple, of course, for Halloween, uh, some spooky things to get you in the mood. All right. So our last story is, again, from Nerdist. And so one of the most impressive aspects of Stranger Things is its impeccable casting. Success beyond the series has already found its way to Finn Wolfhard, a.k.a. Mike Wheeler, who stars as Motormouth Richie in the recently released adaptation of Stephen King's It. Fame may not have gone to Finn's head, but according to Stranger Things creator Matt and Ross Duffer, their young star did pick up a new habit between seasons of the show. He's got a foul mouth, said Matt Duffer as he (laughs) was interviewed by Variety on the Emmy Awards red carpet. After Wolfhard came back from shooting It, he did it before we shot season two. He was saying F-bombing everywhere. (laughs) And I was like, what happened to my innocent Finn Wolfhard? Matt's brother Ross agreed jokingly that It totally corrupted him. Though the pair did concede that Wolfhard is still a great kid whom they're proud to see hit the big time, especially in a Stephen King movie. I can totally relate. You can't blame the kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, now he's got like a total, like he's got a, like a free pass for the rest of his life. So, you know, he'll be at his house and like he'll like break a toy or he's playing a video game and he's losing. Yeah. And go, this effing sucks. Yeah. His mom will come in and be like, hey, Finn, watch your mouth. Sorry, mom. Just practice it for the next it movie. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Danger of letting children curse in movies. Yeah. I always wondered how that affected them. And, and like, you know, what do you do as a parent, you know, letting your kids, you know, say things like that? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to foul language. I'm not. I don't want my kids running around cursing at certain ages when they're really little. Um, and I'm not offended by foul language. I have an extreme potty mouth. <laughs> and I drop the F-bomb, uh, I don't know how many times a day. My swear jar would be very full. Um, so I don't have an aversion to it or anything, but, you know, it's like, you know, I don't, I, if it's used correctly and in good taste, <laughs> that's my concern. But yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. He's definitely got a free pass. Just studying mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get in character. Absolutely. He's, he's a, um, uh, what do they call it? A method actor. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, takes it very seriously. Um, so we got some letters from the Upside Down, a little bit least listener feedback. So the first one that we have is from Andrew Newton. Um, he says, by this midpoint of the season, there are a lot of reasons to be hooked on the show. Stranger Things may on its surface be sci-fi horror, but as with most good shows, it's much more than that too. 
The body deals with the aftermath to Holly Jolly's emotional conclusion, and as such, we spend most of the time in the regular world with the characters trying to pick up the pieces. By the end of it all, the central characters start to recognize in their own way that things aren't exactly what they seem. One of the interesting dynamics I find with Stranger Things is how the different storylines spread across genres. Hopper in this episode is knee-deep in a conspiracy thriller, where Joyce and Jonathan are essentially in a domestic drama about grief. And of course, the coming-of-age themes remain strong with the boys giving Elle a makeover. Mm, yeah, I kind of uh, love that they, they're, he's pointing out like this is very much a genre, like multiple genres Yeah, in one. Definitely. That's what makes this show really great. Steve Brown, so much good stuff in this episode. That song at the beginning was haunting. Hopper going undercover to get info. Joyce never believing that the body was really Will. Nancy asking Jonathan how long he's been a creeper, er, photographer. <laughs> Best of all was Elle wiping her nose after making the bully pee his pants. I watched that twice. <laughs> oh, that was like a, yeah, that was an epic mic drop before there was mic drops. Absolutely. That was great. Kristen Howell says, so this is the episode you can see everything is about to go down. If only we could get everyone who's coming to the same conclusions to get into a room together. I had a weird thought. When Eleven was trying to find Will in the AV room, I think that opened the portal enough for Joyce to see him in the wall and know he was alive. Once the AV room caught fire and Eleven passed out, the portal closed on the other side of town. It's so hard not to keep going. I love this show. Yeah, I kind of, I was kind of thinking that too, that she's kind of the one walking between both worlds. Mm -hmm. So maybe she's the one allowing that monster to come through. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if somehow through her experiments, um, she's somehow responsible for opening that up. Oh, good catch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. So we have some listener feedback from last episode, the chapter three, Holly Jolly. So Andrew Newton, if you're not already hooked on this show, this is the episode that will decide it is for you. And he's talking about Holly Jolly. The show has plenty of adventure, horror, and sci-fi, but the show is at its core an emotional journey with the characters. The ending in this episode has a weight, has a weight to it that really drives that home. Agreed. Robin Young Sanders says, I've been listening to you guys the past three weeks, and I'm really loving the podcast. Thank you. I look forward to it every Friday. I absolutely love the show Stranger Things. I was a teen in the 80s, so it is a trip down memory lane every episode. So many callbacks that totally bring out the nostalgia in me. Keep up the good work, guys, and I look forward to next week's podcast. Thank you, Robin. Thanks. That means a bunch. Yeah. And we had some other feedback just on the podcast in general from Wendy Ott Eppers. She said, loving the podcast. In 1983, I was 15, so this was definitely my era. Yeah. Hi, Wendy. Yeah. Great feedback, guys. Thanks so much, um, everyone, for the listener feedback. We appreciate everything that you write in and tell us if you want to write about something about a previous episode that we've already covered. You know, we're happy to look at that um, and, you know, listen to what you have to say, because I think, you know, especially if you're kind of going back and rewatching a little bit, you pick up so much more um, on doing a rewatch. So anytime you guys have any kind of feedback, um, if you love us, if you hate us, you know, we'll listen let us know what we're doing right, but thank you. <laughs> but be nice. Um, but we love um, everyone, you know, taking the time to actually, you know, write that feedback because, you know, not everybody does that and, and we appreciate every bit that we get. So thank you everyone for taking that time. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. 
All right, so for next week's episode, we will be covering the fifth episode from Season 1 titled Chapter 5, The Flea and the Acrobat. So the description for this episode is, Hopper breaks into the lab to find the truth about Will's death. The boys try to locate the gate that will take them to Will. The gate? Ooh. See, that's, dun, dun, dun. that's almost better than portal. Why haven't I been saying yeah. gate? We should have been saying, we'll, we'll have to get that in our uh, vocabularies to say the gate. Yeah, I'm going to be dreaming about the gate. There's an 80s movie called The Gate. Did you, God. There's a horrible Johnny Depp movie, I think, called The Gate. Um, I thought it was. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if it was called The Gate. The Ninth Gate. Yeah, The Ninth Gate. Yeah, that it was, was like a weird sex scene at the end where he's having sex with like a demon. Yeah, yeah. that was really creepy. But it's Johnny Depp, so you have to watch it. Um, That's true. But there's this 80s movie. Check it out. I don't remember exactly who's in it because my mind, uh, Margarita again, people. Um, <laughs> Check it out. It was super, super creepy. I will not give anything away in case anyone hasn't watched it. I hate giving away my age here, knowing the fact that I've watched it, but IMDb <laughs> that shit and look up the gate, and I don't have no idea where it's available, if it's available. It was not this huge, uh, you know, hit or anything, but it scared the bejeebers out of me as a kid. So check it out. It's a little bit freaky, but yeah, check it out. So I'm going to have to get the gate. Now I'm going to be dreaming about the gate. I'm going to be having nightmares. So look at the sacrifices <laughs> I make for you guys. Um, well, you're going to open that gate and guess who's going to be on the other side. <laughs> Pennywise the clown. Oh my God. Sean, damn it. <laughs> now you've done it. <laughs> you're going to get an earful. <laughs> Oh, damn. Now I'm scared. I can't go on. Okay, so <laughs> thank you guys again so much. We're so excited um, to have you travel to Hawkins, Indiana with us. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com StrangerTCast. You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com and you can also find us on the tv time app yeah and you can find strange indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts like the walking dead cast at podcastica.com go out and leave a review for strange indeed or any of the other podcastica podcast on apple podcast yeah check out podcastica a lot of great things happening and make sure to check out sean in his other podcast <gasps> what the, <laughs> the language of bromance that comes out every sunday so go check that out all right well that's our show episode four chapter four the body God, we're at the halfway point yes so, until next time i'm marima and i'm sean and andrew newton is strange indeed Wow, she looks pretty. Good, you look pretty good. <laughs>